Welcome to Essential Ethics and our highlight series from the 2021 12th National Paediatric Bioethics Conference, which was brought to you by the Royal Children's Hospital Children's Bioethics Centre in September 2021. The conference theme was Deciding with Children. I'm your podcast host, Professor John Massey, Clinical Director of the Children's Bioethics Centre. This podcast is the third presentation of the final session of the conference, Deciding with Children, Bringing It Together. The presenter is Professor Claire Delaney, Clinical Ethicist at the Children's Bioethics Centre. In this presentation, Claire considers the clinician's role in deciding with children. She probes deeply into the socio-cultural theory of cognitive development to consider where a child is at and how much help they may need in making a decision about their health care. In this model, the clinician is the skilled adult with the task of asking, how can this child be supported to develop skills to make a medical decision? Join me now as Professor Claire Delaney winds up the conference considering the clinician's role in deciding with children, bringing it together. Deciding with children is quite challenging, as we've heard, because it requires a clinician to evaluate, as taking up Lynn's points, evaluate whether a child understands the clinical facts and available options, then to determine what a child's preferences and values are as an emerging autonomous independent decision maker, as well as their preferences and values as they're influenced by their family and and the fact that the child is intimately connected with their family. And then to do some really tricky work, which is to try to ascertain whether a child can appreciate whether their preferences and values align with the available options that they have. And as Lynn highlighted, that can go, you know, they can have strengths and weaknesses in each of those decision points or capacities. And then after all of that, they need to be prepared to override a child's preferences, even if they decide they pass one to three, if, if the child's decision is going to cause them significant harm or shorten their life. So it's quite a tough job. So I started then to look very briefly <laughs> as to whether there was anything around that talks about this role of, of being able to do that determining and evaluating and, and ascertaining. Now, this is pretty brief, but chapter one of this paediatric handbook makes a few points that I've made even briefer. But but there's the words that are used are often like this, that, that clinicians should involve children in the consultation according to their developmental level and interest. Uh, they, they should be alert to verbal and nonverbal cues that a child is giving. Um, for adolescents, they should actively engage young people. They should assess psychosocial concerns, support families. Now, I'm doing these authors a disservice because I've seriously reduced what they're saying, but but I do think there's there's lots of, um, you know, you ought to do these things and here's the, you should cover these broad areas. But I don't think there's... I think what we're seeing is that it's pretty hard when you drill down, but how do you do that? So... I'm going to suggest a concept which you might think that you're all familiar with, the ZPD, but it's not Lynn's ZPD. It's Vygotsky's ZPD. 
And um, Lev Vygotsky was a Soviet psychologist known for his work on psychological development in children. And I suspect many in the audience will know a lot more about Vygotsky's work, but uh, he had quite an interest in the relationship between language and thought and the development of language in children and a general theory of development through actions and relationships with a child's sociocultural context. And given that deciding with children is mostly dependent on language between people and the child and the relationships that the child comes with and the, and the, and the clinician-family relationship, I thought that this theory might be promising to shed some light on, you know, how can we support children to... Uh, and how, what sort of support do children need so that this idea of deciding with children sort of can work? So uh, Vygotsky's zone of proximal development is defined as the distance between what a child can already do on their own and what that child can achieve with the assistance of skilled adults or peers. So Vygotsky saw the zone of proximal development as a measure of the skills that are in the process of maturing, and that's as a supplement to measures of development that only look at a learner's independent ability, which I think, you know, Gillick competence tends to, to do an assessment of what does this child show right now as to their level of competence, whereas this idea of what can they do if you assist them because quite often what a child can show you there and then, and when you think about the heated environment of a clinician, a clinical environment where, there's, where they're not comfortable, you know, they may well be demonstrating far below what they're actually capable of understanding. So I'm suggesting that if we take this idea of Vygotsky's zone of proximal development, the clinician is the skilled adult in the room. They're the ones that can work to bring, a ch you know, support a child to show what they're capable of doing in that zone of proximal development. So if learning is taking place in the zone of proximal development, only a small amount of assistance is required. If you give too much assistance, according to Vygotsky, the child may learn only to parrot the teacher rather than master the concept. So it's a really subtle how much support does this child need for them to grow? And if I give too much, you know, that it, it then doesn't allow them space. In this zone, the role of the skilled adult or the clinician is not to focus on what a child can do alone. For example, by asking, can this adolescent make an autonomous decision? Can they articulate and decide a preference based on their own authentic values? There's a lot in that question. <laughs> Do they wish or are they able to take on the responsibility of making a decision? Now, a child might be able to answer those questions, but I think a better way of thinking of the role of the clinician is to ask how can this child be supported to develop skills to decide with me? What can I do to cultivate conditions which support this child to better understand, to discuss what matters to them, separate from as well as embedded within their family. 
So I think they're the tough questions that the skilled adult, and I think there are a lot of skilled adults listening who I know have these tips and strategies, but I think my message here is just the idea of thinking about your role in this space of deciding with children. It means that your whole thinking of what to say shifts. And there's a few examples of how this works. We've all taught, or many of us have taught a child to ride a bike, start with training wheels, then run alongside them without the wheels, and then step back and be prepared for what happens. In the school context, which is where Vygotsky's work is mostly situated, there's plenty of examples where teachers in assisting children to read do more than encourage the, or, or teach the student to read the word, but they start pushing them in that zone of proximal development by asking them to summarise what they've read or asking them questions about what they've read or to clarify and get them to predict what might happen next. So it's pushing students to think just a little bit beyond where they're at. So what might this look like in the clinical context if you were scaffolding a child or an adolescent's potential to contribute to decisions so that they can be in this space of deciding... I don't know how to say that in the other way around, being decided with... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, linguistic challenge, we'll work on that one. Yeah, we will. Yeah, these were the three components, if you like, of a child, of anyone making a decision, being able to understand facts and options available, being able to articulate preferences, and then being able to appreciate, or as Lynn said, prioritise values as to which one, you know, matches the options available. And so how do you scaffold a child to do that sort of thing now, these are really simplistic, and this is where I'm going to rely on the audience to give some more examples. But it could be as simple as asking the child to tell you what they know about the options and what they understand, asking about what the child is hoping for, what matters to them. And as Jenny Hinson said yesterday, which I thought was a lovely line, if you become too sick to tell me what you wanted, who would you want me to talk to? So there are all sorts of ways that you can ascertain what matters to a child, not suggesting it's always easy to do that or the child is ready to, to talk to you. But that's the task, though, of supporting a child to get to these elements of decision-making. You know, this is a bit simplistic, but, you know, which of these options seem to best match what you're hoping for but you're spending some time trying to scaffold the child to do the sort of thinking that is required rather than taking perhaps at face value where they're at so I think that's the job of the skilled adult in the room in clinical practice and at times uh, scaffolding this development might also mean not saying anything or asking any questions, but giving more time, more space, permission not to contribute. And that could be seen as scaffolding as well because you're giving them some space. In summary, the skilled adult in the room, according to Vygotsky's ZPD, is to move through these five steps. The first one is at a sort of basic level, I think it's what do I need to tell this child and family about their options, what can happen, 
then maybe starting to think, how can I package this information so it's clear and delivered in a careful and sensitive manner? And I think we've had a bit of that discussion over the last couple of days. Then moving to how can I assess what this child thinks and knows? And then how can I understand what this child's views, understanding, concerns are? And also the back end a bit, you know, where and how have they been informed? And finally, how can I promote and support this child to understand and articulate their values towards making a decision with me? So I think that's a, a bit of a summary of, and, and, and each one of those is important at various times, but I've put in bigger writing, number five, because I actually think it's more important than the rest. <laughs> so really interested in people's tips and strategies uh, about how they do these steps or if they've got other steps. Thank you. Well, I just like, if I can just interject yeah. here, Maria, um, there's a bit of mayhem going on out there. Oh. I think last time I checked, we've got um, Danny Gold and Ros McDougall doing the part of Trois. And unfortunately for you, Lynn, Helen Irving mm. says that she has a, a new favourite ZPD this afternoon. Oh, no. So the favourite child has been pushed off the mantelpiece. Oh, Helen, all right, I'll come for a little while. It's fantastic to, to go through all those. I've got so many questions and I could sit here into the night. So you, you've allowed me in and now I don't want to go. Um, there was a statement about sort of um, around parents through the, through the um, range. How, as clinicians, do we help uncouple the parents um, from some of those decisions? As we move through, they yeah. moved a, away in the, the diagram. But, um, you know, how... Can we have those conversations and redirect for the child to be at the centre of those conversations? You know, the, the concept of the helicopter mother or whatever it mm. might be. How, you know, and particularly for maybe children with chronic disease or children with disabilities where the parents have been so invested in their healthcare decision making for so long. How, mm. how do we work through that? Yeah, well, I, I mean, just just because I was thinking, here's how you work, here's a scaffolding idea of working with children. Yeah. Perhaps there's another theory out there or another ZPD yeah. of working with parents in terms of uncoupling yes. as the task. Yeah. If I might just um, bring up a thread that sort of talks to that point, Maria, in the, in the chat. Ros did ask that question, couldn't the parent or isn't the parent a, a skilled adult in the child's sort of domain? Uh, and then Erin responded with, uh, well, yes, um, and a lot of other people, yes. But Erin said, but clinicians have sort of specific and specialised knowledge in the medical decision-making realm and with, around the medical issues that they're now sort of confronting and discussing. And they've got experience and expertise in communicating that and working through it. So they shouldn't bump the parent off mm. as the skilled adult, but perhaps join the yep. group, whether that's a way to look at it. Yeah. Maria, um, I mean, I think in answer, I don't know if Evelyn Kalnane, I'll just put the request out there, is, is here who runs the transition program, mm. but I think that that's one of the very important roles that she does, um, that maybe clinicians, you know, aren't as good at, although, you know, I think, you know, a start is getting the parent out of the room and conversations, mm. as we've talked about before, but Evelyn, I think, has a, a special way of, of trying to help the parents see their new role, um, which, which is often from decision maker to support. You know, to support a decision maker, being the support, and sort of reassuring the parents that even though you do go to adult services, you're not 
you know, in the modern era, a patient can take an advocate, which is what the parents is, and it's what I tell the parents, you won't be cut out all altogether, but you've got to allow the shift in orientation of the consultation to, to, to go to the child and the child's got to be ready. So, um, you know, Evelyn has seems to have skills at that, the human crowbar, I call her. <laughs> I think, um, do you, John? <laughs> well, because is Evelyn there? Can we hear you know, from Evelyn? You know, the people who are well, you know, I don't know if that's because they're, they're welded even more than the kids. Yes. You know, kids very easily understand that you've got to leave kitty land, and, and yeah. it's good to leave kitty land, as, as I call it here, so that you see yourself as an adult and the, your parents and people around you see yourself as an adult. But it's, yeah. it's the parents, especially the kids, of course, with chronic illness find it so hard and partly they're worried about leaving here because they know how fantastic it is really in terms of a one-stop mm -hmm. or fairly organized shop to the potential chaos of what goes on out there but they are also I think afraid of letting go and letting the kids fail or, or things happen to them all very understandable but all I think in the kids interests for the parents to to separate can I um, just answer Roz's question uh, Ros says, why is the clinician the skilled adult? And I think that's an important one to address. I, I actually think they are the skilled adult in the room because the parents and the child have come to them. They're in the health space. So in a sense, they do have some responsibility to be the skilled, mm. the skilledest of, of the three in communication. Mm -hmm. So uh, although that's not to say, of course, what they say goes, but they are the ones in some senses orchestrating things here. Yeah. Yeah. I'm wondering what Laney, I don't know if I'm scarred by Laney this morning, but I'm just wondering what Laney would, would say, whether she would see the clinician as not the skilled adult, the, the parent is the skilled adult, and whether she would see herself as a clinician standing outside of that dyadic relationship as she characterised it and not... She does have mm. skills, but does she see herself in that circle? I don't think that she she would. I'm mm. interested in what people think about that. Yeah, the, to me that's one of the big questions that I'm taking away from this, this conference is the, the question of the role of the parent. And with Lainey this morning, I think we were particularly thinking about the role of the parent in relation to the child as decision-maker. But now this is raising the question of the role of the parent in relation to the clinician. Um, so speaking personally, I didn't get a lot of training to be a parent uh, and I don't feel that I have the skills that I think a clinician might have, it, not simply in, in healthcare and knowing about medical and clinical things, but in knowing about how to involve a child in that hmm. context. So I, I, I would feel myself to be a less skilled adult in that context than maybe in say an education context so I feel like oh, I have much more skills to lead my child in decision making in an education context than in a in a healthcare context so so the notion of skilled is not kind of an umbrella term that covers everything I think it relates yeah. to particular domains yeah. and it led me on to one of my other questions but I know we're nearly running out of time but I, I do feel the need to ask it I've, I've recently been reading something about um, adults that are uh, been involved in incidents in the healthcare system and the fact that actually they don't feel empowered and autonomous in mm. 
the healthcare environment and we're making this assumption that as we move through the stages the parent remains autonomous and very active in the decision making but actually there's something about children being beautifully authentic and when could they start becoming compliant and and, yeah, and yeah. agreeing things that aren't ideal or not in their best you know what they would believe not to be in their best interest but they've become institutionalized yep. as well yep. uh, and i think certainly from last night's discussion when morgan was talking a lot about um that that feeling that um she wasn't able to say no because she mm. had learned to be a, a good, good patient a yeah. good patient and i guess parents also learn mm. to be a good parent you know, you know, in a clinical setting picking up from what says so is is why the clinician is the skilled person because we're in healthcare because we're comfortable in healthcare and that's through just the sort of people we are who choose it and then we develop those skills and so even autonomous adults going in you know for their own healthcare are not comfortable and don't necessarily get the best from it um, and so these are parents you know these are adults who are you know you know, it's not just because they're sick that they've sort of diminished their capacity to, to be involved necessarily. So they've got a, a child and that's why we're the sort of calm, knowledgeable in the illness and experienced one to be the skilled person. Not, not in all the ways, or, or not at all the time, because lots of parents get very skilled and knowledgeable about the disease and get comfortable with the hospital, but just I think a lot of the time though we should be seeing ourselves that way, not just being a healthcare facilitator. That was Professor Claire Delaney, clinical ethicist at the Children's Bioethics Centre. The 12th National Paediatric Bioethics Conference was made possible by the generous support of the Friends of the Children's Bioethics Centre Auxiliary and the Humanity Foundation. This podcast was prepared by the Royal Children's Hospital Creative Services with help from Dr Georgina Hall. If you enjoyed the podcast, give us a rating and share it with your colleagues and friends. If you would like to find out more about the activities of the Royal Children's Hospital Children's Bioethics Centre, including our annual conference held each September, look us up on www.rch.org.au forward slash bioethics. Essential Ethics. Be inspired.